I hear it. Did you hear it? All right, yeah. hey guys, this is Sam Uriah with Immigration and Travel Podcast. I'm currently uh, recording this podcast in my car. Um, you know, I, I had to make it happen somehow. I, I had an appointment uh, with my very special guest today. And so here I am driving back from uh, Los Angeles to, to Sacramento and, and making this happen. I, I've been so um, excited to hear about Diana's story because she just got back from uh, Brazil. And so she's a person that I met in, in Europe. I, I met her in, in Budapest and uh, got to, to spend a few uh, uh, days together over there with some other people, some local travelers, or some local residents and, and other travelers and became good friends in a, a short amount of time. So we've been staying in touch. So I want to introduce you guys, Diana Tran and Diana, how are we doing today and where are you located? I'm in San Francisco. I'm I'm doing good. It's nice, sunny, warm out here, like 70 degrees pretty much. Um, but it's nice to be back. It's really nice. The weather's great. Great, great. I was just in San Francisco. Uh, when was it? It was weird. I was in LA. I was telling you before we started recording, I was in LA working and then they flew me to San Francisco to cover a case and then I got flown back to LA. Now I'm driving back from LA to Sacramento. So I was just in San Francisco as well, and it was very, very, uh, very good weather. So yeah, you're all over California. The <laughs> uh, well, last time I've been to Sacramento was like I can't even remember, like four years ago, three years ago. I always encourage people to visit, and through the the app that uh, we both know very well, Couchsurfing, I get a lot of people that um, text me on there, and, and and they're visiting, or they're usually just passing through Sacramento. It's never somebody that's like hey i'm coming to visit sacramento it's like hey i'm coming from oregon to whatever location or i'm doing this to this and it's always like yep it's you're like sacramento's right in the middle and you guys are just stopping out of convenience you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's not a city a lot of people uh want to visit but i, I encourage people to visit because i do think it's very fun i think it's kind of like this hipster vibe it's the, the downtown is beautiful to me and, and having been blessed to see so many places, and maybe I'm biased because it is it is my my United States home base. Yeah. But the down the downtown of Sacramento is different than any other one because it's, there's not that many tall buildings, mm-hmm. but they're tall enough to feel like a downtown city. Mm-hmm. And there's so many trees, and yeah. it's always sunny. Sacramento always has great sun. That in fact, I was gone for nine months, came back, and the first thing that I noticed was the sun hits different. I don't know if that happens to you that when you travel, the yeah. sun, like in Cairo, Egypt, it was orange, like in different cities, it's just got different shades. And when yeah. I came back to Sacramento, I'm like, it's so bright here. Like my eyes were, it's like I had a flash in my eyes. Has that, has that happened to you? Like, have you noticed that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Give me one second. Um, yeah. Like in Lisbon, you get all kinds of like, you know, I, I mean, I was comparing the sunset in Israel Greece, Lisbon, and here, and like the sunset, it is different <laughs> depending on where you go. Like in Lisbon, it's super colorful, like all kinds of colors, as if you're on Mars or something. The sky's like pink, purple, blue, and then out here in, in SF, at least, like overlooking, um, like from the Golden Gate Bridge area, the horizon's amazing. It's just like all orangey, yellow, and it looks it looks so stunning. Um, but I, I know that feeling that you're talking about. 
Yeah, it's just something I didn't notice before. And and speaking of San Francisco, and I'll I'll um, touch back on what I was trying to the point I was trying to make about Sacramento is that uh, it, it the sun hits very bright in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and then there's so many trees downtown, and the buildings aren't that tall, so they don't really cover the sun. For example, like in San Francisco, you could be walking down uh, any street in downtown San Francisco. And you're going to have shade and you're going to have sun. And it's two different ecosystems. Like you're going to be chilly for a little bit. And then mm-hmm. when the sun hits your face, it's totally warm. In Sacramento, yeah. it's like the same thing, an ecosystem under the trees of downtown. So it could be like peak summer. But if you're downtown Sacramento, that little, those trees will cover the, the sun well enough to where it just feels perfect. And yeah. walking around, places to park, so many different food places. I don't know. I really enjoyed downtown Sacramento. So um, maybe I hope come, maybe I'll come to visit sometime. Like, I, think you, I think you need to come and visit me. Yeah. I that honestly was, I, don't know, have any friends or family there. That's why there was like really no reason to come. But now I know you. So exactly. So I guess we're going to have to plan that. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, we were talking about your trip in Brazil and you just got back. Uh, I don't know if it was a month or two ago, but you spent, was it the last two months or no, was it January? Was it this year, 2022 or, or at the end of last year? No, it was this year. I just got back like a month and a half ago. Okay. Right now, right now I think is actually carnival is happening as we speak. No, I heard about that. Yeah. So let's start on that. What I know you're not there, but how, what did people say about it? What, what are some stories or, some people what have people said about carnival while you were there so the the thing is um just to keep in mind like carnival is supposed to happen like i forgot what day it was like end of february or something like that that's the official uh like week but then because of covid it got pushed back to end of april this year however everyone still celebrated at the, on the original date um oh really what was the original date again yeah, I think I think it was end of February or something like that. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, there's no parades or anything like that, but people, real people don't give a shit about restrictions. They do what they want to do. Um, yeah. so definitely still celebrating around that time. And, and, you know, like, I think the one thing that really stood out, I don't know if this applies to all of Rio or maybe, I mean, apply to all of, brazil or just rio but everyone kisses each other you know and (laughs) and like it's it's not a it's not just a kiss on the lips it's like especially during carnival um you know everyone's having such a good time good vibes like all lovey-dovey kind of like that that feeling at burning man where everyone just loves each other right (laughs) at carnival it's it's like that feeling where okay like i'm gonna dance around and if i see someone attractive you know i'm gonna go up to them and make out with them you know but is it is that like a general rule like is it is it kind of like free pickings is i like to go you just hey that's a that's i like that person i'm gonna go up that's something everybody's doing all the time yeah yeah a lot of people do like a lot I've, I've heard about that. No, I, I remember I worked, uh, I, was, I was a bartender like three years ago and I, I was doing like these gigs in, in the Bay Area. I go a lot to San Francisco and like surrounding areas and there were some Brazilians that would uh, work that season and I, I remember just working next to them and they just, obviously a Brazilian will always sell you Brazil 
beautifully. And, and he told me about um, yeah, a carnival. And I remember him specifically mentioning that, like, dude, like, you better go with, and at the time I had a girlfriend and he was like, you better go without a girlfriend, dude. Like you can't <laughs> avoid people kissing you. And I was like, <laughs> duly noted i will i will make sure i go when i don't have a girlfriend if that ever happens you know at the time yeah. i was so in love i was like oh who gives a shit but now <laughs> i had you know what i had um some guy friends that just flew in for <laughs> carnival and i believe like one of them got engaged or married and oh, i felt yeah. yeah and uh and i was just like observing them i told i well i warned them i was like you know, locals here, just guys, but women too, they're very forward. Like if they find you attractive, they will kiss you. And sometimes they don't ask for permission um, it's wow. because it's so normalized there. Um, so I was just like observing them and I, I was seeing all these girls like, you know, try to make their move on them. And so many times, like the guys would have to tell them like, oh, I'm married. I have a girlfriend, you know, and, and <laughs> And then the locals, like the Brazilian women, they look so confused every time they got rejected. Like, what is this? What do you mean? <laughs> gonna kiss me? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, have a, I have a wife and five kids. Shit. <laughs> yeah, Shit. you're the you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, they they're just. I guess they're just not used to like being denied. I, I'm not sure, but the expression was priceless. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard. Uh, it's definitely a culture shock though, because, you know, Americans, like we, we like our space, like basically a kiss there, like a makeout session is equivalent to hugging someone you're attracted to. Here. And you're not exaggerating, right? Cause you can, you, it, it could be a funny story, but it could be a slight uh, exaggeration to it. So do you really think it's like that? I'm not exaggerating. No, okay. this is also from personal experience of, uh, <laughs> No one like warned me, you know, when I, <laughs> yeah, no one warned me. So it's like, it's kind of like, especially carnival. This is how it is. Like you, <laughs> someone will find you attractive. They'll walk over kind of just trying to make out with you. And then afterwards they're like, Oh, what's your name? Where are you from? Oh, I've been <laughs> to California. Oh, cool. Okay. Bye. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's great. Yeah. I, mean, I have heard, I have heard Brazil is, very open, uh, sexual, like sexually wise, very open. And, and, um, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to mention the stat, but I, and I don't know if it's true or not. It could be, uh, it could be one of the higher ranked uh, countries when it comes to like SDs and stuff, but that's just like part of, uh, you know, this is something that, that is just part of so, certain cultures. And I try to explain this to people about Colombia, that Colombia, the girls are more sexually tense. I don't know how to explain it. Like, a girl in Colombia, and I'm not speaking for every girl. There's always going to be girls who are not like this. But girls will come out, and part of their day-to-day routine is to look very good and attract a guy. That's not something you're going to see in the United States. You're going to see a, a girl put on leggings, a coat, go to the store, and all she's thinking about in her mind is, I'm going to go get my groceries, and I got to go run these errands. Yeah, Colombian girls, I don't care. I'm sorry. Like I said, I might be exaggerating, might be not might may not be true to everybody i do feel like colombian girls whatever they're doing and they're coming out of the house they are coming out elegantly they're like they they dress up at least in a in a in a decent way and they're half thinking like who's if they're single obviously i'm not speaking for people who are taken but um they they want to go out and look good and impress a guy and sometimes you're 
in line and I don't know, waiting to withdraw uh, cash from the ATM and if a girl's in front of you, she will make these body movements, which kind of signal to you like, hey, I, I want to talk. And it always wow. happens. And it's like, you can't explain that unless you're there. And that's kind of, I'm sure how Brazil was like with people. Give me one second, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, well, um, the thing with, you know what, I think, I don't, this is just my experience being there for two, two months, but I feel like Brazil, Brazilians are very easygoing and they're naturally very beautiful, even though they don't try. Like some of them don't try. They're just like, you know, everyone's just walking around in shorts and flip flops. Like in Rio, everyone wears flip flops, uh, yeah, yeah. beach attire. But even if they're not trying, they're still, everyone's very attractive in Rio. Um, they got I a mixture. I they got a, I think, sorry to interrupt. I know they have a, a huge mixture of, of like, uh, heritage, right? They got, they got people yeah. from like, all over Europe, they also have like a, yeah, so it's like a very mixed culture. It's almost like, do you think it's a little bit like the United States, like a lot of white complexion, uh, darker complexion, light skin, you know, all these different types, right? Yeah, I mean, you could, (laughs) you could find like Brazilians, like sometimes they have blonde hair, blue eyes, sometimes they look like really dark chocolate skin, like (laughs) super diverse, and they're all so beautiful like incredibly naturally beautiful and I don't know the the vibe that I got was that they're very easygoing and more definitely more sexually open and and just just Rio in the districts I I stayed in um also their sexuality seems uh more open to like like there were there was a huge lgbtq community um and it's it's pretty common to hear that a lot of the women are also bisexual so that was that also stood out to me um because i feel like in the states it's very black and white it's either you're super straight like hell no i'm not gonna like date another guy you know or or women um yeah i just feel like it's more black and white here so over there it's definitely yeah it's definitely different but when you were talking about in Colombia, like how the women, you know, they would signal like body language to you to tell you they're interested. Um, I think they do that. Of course, they do that all over the world. But it wasn't very like, at least I was oblivious to that. I don't really notice that. It's kind of like, oh, if they find you attractive, uh, then they'll just like go for it, like straight away. <laughs> like there's no beating around the bush, really, you know. That, that is I don't know the, the way it is but like in a city like Medellin and I put my dad as an example like my dad is, is 53 or something and uh, the, the guy's never been married and, and to be honest like whatever I know his reasons I'm not going to give his reasons they're a bit silly as why he doesn't want marriage but the girls in Medellin are oriented towards men like him men because in Colombia it's not like in the U.S. where you're 18 and you can make a decent amount of money. You can take out a girl, you can take a trip, take vacations. Even if you work in a minimum wage job in Colombia, you if you unless you try to get dirty money, you have to wait until your 30s and your 40s to be like, okay, I've been working, I've been saving up, and I have a little bit of money to be able to enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so these girls from Medellin, which I'm sure it's the same in Brazil, like the higher up the mountain you are, the higher up the favela, probably the poorer you are. So it really signifies like how poor poverty and, and wealth is like the closer you are to the center of town. That's how Medellin mm. is. And so he lives more in the center of town. So anytime he goes out, these girls from the favelas in Medellin are going to be walking around signaling, signaling, signaling. And yeah. they're, they're, shooting, they're shooting for guys that are like my dad's age. And he, what is he supposed to do? Hey, he's mm-hmm. going to be tempted. And that's why he's been single forever. He's been living there for like 15, 20 years. So mm-hmm. imagine he's 50 since he was 30. Since he was around our age, he's been in Medellin. And he's like, dude, I can't get married here. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I mean, at least he's honest with himself. Yeah, the think, thing with... I, I don't think marriage is for... Sorry, and I'll let you continue. I don't think marriage is, is for everybody. Uh, and and he, he's tempted all the time, like, because those girls are oriented towards that. They want to get guys his age. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's definitely their target audience <laughs> for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, like in another thing that really stood out in Brazil and the States is that, you know, the rich people here live on the hills, you know, and then the poor. Hey, okay. Okay. Well, I'm here, you know, because cause the rich people like they could pay for review. And that's usually how it's like, like what you said, it's like in Colombia, like usually the favelas are in the hills, like all in the jungly hills and all that stuff. And all the rich people live closer to the beach, like down at the bottom. Um, And I was like, wow, it's like kind of like the opposite (laughs) from, especially from California. Uh, But yeah, I've, I've, like I told you before, I like, I was volunteering in the favelas, um, and I met some really cool people from the, uh, from the favelas, like cool karaoke's locals there who are very kind and nice. And I don't know, I felt like I've met people who are very trustworthy too. Um, so I also had the opportunity to party with them in, in the favelas, which was actually uh, very fascinating and um, never done that before. <laughs> so you got to, what was your, your, your ways of staying in, in, in Brazil? Is it a very hostile oriented um, country or were you able to stay with locals through the, uh, through the apps that various people use or, or how was it? I'm sorry. Say that again. Oh, sorry. I must, I must've cut out. Um, I said, so what, what, how, how were you able to, to find a, uh, shelter I guess or how we able, how did you stay in Brazil most of your journey or most of your trip did you mostly stay in hostels was, was there a lot of hostels available there and or did you just stay with locals uh, through various apps that we use um I at first I booked a hostel that had really good ratings uh but I didn't realize that that hostel was located in the favela so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rookie mistake yeah um it, it was fine it was fine like everyone told me it's safe to walk in and out but as a foreigner when you see that there's like cops cars parked right at the entrance of the favela like every day that kind of says something you know and and like I in my gut like walking home at night even though everyone was telling me oh it's, this is like the safest favela here um I still didn't feel quite safe, you know, and maybe because my standards are different, but just in my gut, I didn't feel safe to be walking up the hill at like 3am in the morning after a party by myself. Yeah. Um, 
And then, but the rest of the time, I, I usually had my own apartment. And I moved oh, to, nice. yeah, I moved to the, I guess the bougie neighborhood in Rio where there were no security um, yeah. everywhere. And it felt, definitely felt more safe. And yeah, it's like the bougie neighborhood. It's called uh, Ipanema or even Leblon. Um, but yeah, I felt more comfortable there. So I moved there. But however, however, regardless of how bougie it is, right up the street is the favelas. So um, it's just that there's more cops, I think, concentrated in those areas. The military yeah. is everywhere too. Okay. And I was just going to say, um, <clears throat> for those who are listening, know what favela is which i don't expect everybody to know there's people i'm sure that are not that uh i guess uh, to us i think favela is a pretty common term but a favela and, and correct me if i'm wrong Diana, it's more of a slum neighborhood that's uh in the hills of, of a, a semi-mountainous city right yeah pretty much um i've learned there from locals like i i didn't don't quote me on this but like the locals told me this and also, you know, professional tour guides told me this, but the favelas were originally created um, by former slaves, you know, because they never, ever receive, receive assistance from the government. And they're also, I believe, Brazil is the last country in the world to abolish slavery. Um, so they all... That, that, I can, that I can disprove because I went to an African country that was the last country to abolish slavery. So maybe... I'm wrong, they're wrong, or maybe you're wrong, but the reason I, I, I'm saying this is because <laughs> Mauritania, which is the one of the African countries I went to, mm. they're known for like still having slaves. Like even though it's oh. been abolished. Like legally. Legally? No, but they're just it's you know how it is with I don't know if you visited Africa, but it's such yeah. informal societies where man, it's like going backwards in time. It was really it was a shock, but I'm sure it still happens. Some of the locals, some of them denied it. Some of them said, yeah. They're very nomadic people. They're like, a lot of these African uh, people, they're, they're not really supposed to be living in cities. They're very nomadic. They, they used to live in deserts and little tribes. And the reason they kind of started uh, saturating into cities is because there's droughts. And, and so mm. they can't feed themselves and start going in. I think that's what like urbanization has kind of caused is now we live in all these different cities that are so big and where most of the opportunities are kind of concentrated. But before, like, people used to have very basic means of survival. Like, okay, I have my little tribe here, my little nomad uh, town, whatever. There's only, like, a couple hundred people, maybe less. And they would just export whatever. They'd grow agriculture, whatever, and they export. And they didn't have to put in. They didn't have to to Um, But, yeah, Mm -hmm. they needed they they needed uh, there's there's a lot of slavery needed i guess uh in mauritania and, and it was the last country but hey i think maybe brazil is not far behind or maybe it is yeah yeah but um i hear what you're saying like i was told this like i i did not to be honest i did not do my research on the exact year when it was abolished but i was just told this by locals and also expats um that and also the favelas was created. They didn't get any help from the permits until the state. The plantation was called something close to the favela, and they just like created a 
a nickname and now Excella is what you call it. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like wherever I try to travel, I always try to look for volunteer opportunities there. And surprisingly in Rio, it was really difficult to find volunteer positions. There wasn't like enough NGOs or something. And that really shocked me because Rio is such a massive city, you know, and, and just in San Francisco alone is, I mean, I can't compare it to the, the U.S. I'm just used to going to like major international cities and being able to have so many like NGOs to work for. But literally in Rio, I, I think I found like four, four or five. And so this, I, I brought it up um, to this, like a, a walking tour guide. I was like, Hey, like, I realized that like for a city this big with, you know, that much property, I'm surprised that there aren't many NGOs and, she made it known that she was like before there were actually plenty of NGOs that offered scholarships and education and all this stuff. Um, however, the government cut a lot of funding and, and especially during the pandemic, a lot of them had to close down. So that's why you see so few. Um, but that's like that's definitely a, a sad reality because like, uh, like I said, majority of Rio is under like subsistence level is living in poverty and they're not getting that much help. So that makes sense that there's petty crime, like, you know, uh, happening, like people are constantly getting robbed and stuff. Um, um yeah, so, you, so you, 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 you mentioned, uh, volunteering in the, and I know you've visited many countries. And, and so what, what kind of work have you done in other countries volunteer wise I, I guess what has been your most because you, you probably mentioned a lot so I guess I, I'll narrow it down to like what has been your, your most um, maybe surprising I wouldn't say surprising your, your best experience volunteering in, in any place in the world best experience uh, I think. most satisfying I guess ah, that's a hard question <laughs> all of them are so heartfelt um, the most memorable was in Nepal, actually. I was uh, living, yeah, I was living in a rural village. uh, And this was through Workaway. Do you know what Workaway Uh is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Workaway is, uh, and for those who don't know, Workaway is an app where uh, it's it's kind of like a feed where people post jobs. And and, uh, I think for the most part, uh, whoever accepts the job, takes the job, you know, they they get accepted by the petitioner. And then, uh, in exchange for the, whatever job they're doing for them, they get housing and, uh, and food, right? Mm-hmm. You work okay. in exchange for housing and food, and sometimes I offer stipend too for the month. Nice. Um, yeah, but I did that a lot pre-pandemic. Um, and yeah, my most memorable place was in Nepal. And that's because it's such, like, once, I, I'm not sure if you've been to no, Nepal before, but once you fly in, like, the smell is different. Like everything smells like incense and just like very, I still get this like nostalgic feeling when I think of Nepal. Um, but I was living in a world village on top of this, this mountain right next to the mountain is the Himalayas, like the Annapurna range. Oh my and goodness. it was incredibly, yeah, it was so peaceful. And also like, that's a place where you learn not to take anything for granted. And also a place where you learn that as an American, I'm so privileged, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I I like to give myself that reality check 
here and there because I want to be grateful for what I have now. Um, not many people even like when I was in the volunteering there, um, we didn't even have proper mattress. Like what? It felt like we slept on wood, just wood. And it was dead winter. Um, so it was freezing cold. Tap water ran out all the time. Um, they got their water from the waterfall. Like everything in the house had to be built there because there was no proper transportation to ship items up this, up to the small village. Um, but it was so, it was hard. It was definitely hard, but it was very So what, what was your job? What was your job there? I was teaching kids about tropical diseases in, you know, in English. It's a, it's like a, it's a private school, but it's free for the kids in that, um, in that village. And I think this guy, the, the guy that was running it, he was up for, he was, he got nominated to speak at TEDx, um, for what he's doing. And he's very passionate. He's Nepalese. He's local there. Um, and all of the teachers are pretty much volunteers. Um, so I got to really live like a local, uh, teach the kids something very practical that they need to learn about. And yes, when I tell people this, a lot of travelers are like, uh, um, there's like rainforest in Nepal. Like (laughs) there's like, there's a tropics there. I was like, yeah, like in the mountains, like how the kids get to school, they have to trek through the rainforest to get to school. And sometimes it takes like an hour and a half just to walk to school for them you know, so, um, especially around like diseases, they need to know how to identify it and, um, know what it is, you know? So it was a, it was definitely a heartwarming and fascinating experience being there and just living a very different lifestyle, but they're all very happy people, even that they don't have much. I almost went to Nepal. But uh, I was deciding. I, I spent a lot of time in like the Middle Eastern countries, but not not really. I would call Egypt, Egypt and Jordan. I spent two months or one month each, and uh, and then I was kind of, and I'd already been to Morocco, Tunisia, and I was like, I need to like get away from Arab culture. Like I feel like I really like that's what got me excited about the trip last year was. I really wanted to go to like the Arab countries like Muslim and uh, you know just that culture intrigued me the most last year. But then I was in Egypt mm-hmm. and uh, I met a girl who's going to Iraq. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Iraq is booming right now. A lot of people are visiting Iraq. Um, it's considered much safer. Um, it's got Babylonia, which is like according to them the, the oldest place on earth where humanity pretty much came from and or the oldest records of humanity mm-hmm. or something like that and i i think if i would have taken that step towards iraq i might have just gone on to like nepal because it wasn't and nepal is not too far off from there i was thinking yeah pakistan and and then nepal and then something just said that I can't skip over Africa. You know, I'm, I was I went to North Africa. I need to go into like deeper Africa. So that that kind of made me change my mind. At first, I was going to go to Rwanda, but then the the entry requirements were so annoying. It was like 
test before arrival, test on arrival, quarantine five days, uh, test after the quarantine. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to the other side of Africa where, where it's kind of like better to, better to enter. Yeah. Uh, but I was seriously, because I can't, there came a point where I was traveling and I was, it's kind of crazy that I was able to choose. I could look at a map and choose anywhere that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Are the ones that were super restricted. And I got to a, like a, like a standstill. I was like, I don't even know where to go next. <laughs> well, where am I going to go next, dude? Like, the travel is like six months. And then I was like, Nepal. And then I look at a map like, Nepal. Ooh, India. Ooh, and I'd be like, I don't know which one. I, I just uh... didn't know which one. So I, I really want Nepal. Nepal was, I, I, I was telling people during my travels, I was like, they're like, where are you going next? And I'm like, I don't know yet. And it'd be like the last week that I plan on being in that, in that place. And people would ask me, where are you going? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know, dude. I'm waiting for one day to wake up and be like, this country's calling me. That's kind of how I went. And yeah. Nepal was calling me hard. It was maybe like, I was maybe like one or one little computer session away from just booking to Nepal. So I really yeah. want to go. I re- point being, uh, I really you need to. Go. Yeah. There's just, there's this one, like Nepalese food is great. I mean, it's, it's really good. I love momos, but there's this one, bomb ass Donburi restaurant it by a Japanese guy living in Kathmandu it's so fucking good I still remember how it tastes like till this day and it's so hidden I'm like this random Japanese guy just like happens to live in Kathmandu not that many you don't find many foreigners living there um oh my god especially like after a long hike oh that was so good I highly but I mean, I highly recommend Nepal. I'm not sure how it is now with COVID and stuff. Um, I actually don't know any travelers who went there or even to India anytime with since like 2020. Um, so I'm it's, not sure. But it's, have, it's you know, have you have you noticed that uh, a lot of times when you're reviewing hostels or just reviewing things in general, and a lot of the reviews are like back 2019, end of 2019. Yeah, and you're like, I wonder how it is now. And like, you have there's barely any reviews. I think in general, Asia has been like the entire continent of Asia has been very strict when COVID started. You know, so but right now, people are starting. I think the countries that I hear about are Bali. I mean, not well, not Bali's not a country. Indonesia is is where a lot of travelers are flocking to right now. Yeah, and a little bit of Thailand. But that's it. Like, I don't know anywhere else where other travelers have gone within Asia. Yeah, that, that's the reason I didn't uh, book any flights directly to Asia. It's the only continent I haven't really touched. Uh, bar. Oh, you should come to my country, Vietnam. <laughs> I would love to go to Vietnam. Look, if you tell me, Sam, let's meet here, let's meet there. It is very hard for me to say no. <laughs> I, yeah, I told you when I first met you, though, right? Like, um, Yeah, I, I was I was gonna ask you to remind me what country you're from, but now that you say Vietnam, I remember us talking about it. Yeah, um, I was stuck there, so I ended up living there for, for like nine months. I know, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about Brazil because oh, you were yeah. you were me- you were mentioning the food in Nepal. How how is the food in Brazil? Uh, <laughs> it depends which part of Brazil you are. So I, we were in. So I was in Sao Paulo, Rio, and Bahia, Bahia State, um, Salvador. And the food in Rio is 
it's not amazing. It's, <laughs> it's decent. <laughs> it's decent. It's not like mind blowing, you know, especially their international food. Um, if you're looking for like proper Asian, Asian food, that is not the spot to be. It's not bad. It's okay. But I was assuming before I even got to Rio that Rio is an international city. It's a, everyone knows about it. So I'm assuming there's a lot of international options. Um, I was wrong. I was definitely wrong. They have a lot of Japanese restaurants, um, but like not that many. Uh, it's not that good. <laughs> like the other food. Um, but in Bahia, the food's like completely different. I think it's more African influence. Uh, they use tons of spices in their food. Like you can easily find spicy food and really good sausages and, and just more kicks in the flavor. In Rio, it's kind of flat. Like it's like salty. It's more salty than food in California for sure. Um, and I feel like the seasoning is, is consistent. It's like, it's kind of like the same throughout each plate. Um, it's meat heavy, but you can find yeah. a lot of healthy options in Rio. I was actually uh, vegan a lot of the time when I was there or not vegan I'm sorry pescatarian in in Rio um, okay so you uh obviously by having that restriction I guess you can't really taste everything but um you said it's it's mostly based based uh, on meat I've never really had Brazilian I don't know what their specialties are steak, steak. <laughs> it's definitely steak um, and a, a lot of the, they use a lot of plantains and, and fried food, but then again, there's so many healthy options in, in Rio that I just, uh, stuck to like fish and, and, uh, vegetarian, like just a lot of veggies. However, there's one cool thing, many cool things about Rio, but one of the things that I love is that during lunchtime or even dinner, there's a lot of buffet options. So you could stack your plate and they charge you by kilo, how much it weighs. Oh, nice. Like that, that's something that's very common um, in Rio. So, you know, there's control there. For an, for an American citizen, how, how was the overall currency? Uh, was it very cheap? Um, you know, uh, you said in a bougie area, you said, but was it still pretty cheap to, to be even in the most affluent neighborhood? No, Rio's not cheap. Rio's really? Not no, Rio is not cheap. It is. Wow. Yeah. And I'm talking about real estate, like, uh, renting, even a small studio hostels, like come, I'm, I'm comparing it to my experience traveling to other places, um, right. you know, along the same like economic level, but, uh, surprisingly to rent an apartment or studio or anything, it's very expensive. It's my apartment. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I got a pretty bougie apartment in like a bougie neighborhood. Um, I spent, I don't even know, like 1400, I think 1,400, which is a, a lot for an area you would think there. Um, food. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like, was it an Airbnb? Yeah. And that was with, that was after negotiating with them, by the way, wow. if I didn't, it would have been over $2,000 a month. So it's, it's not cheap. The food is, the food is affordable though. Like drinks are, are very affordable. Everything else seems affordable for, especially someone who comes from like one of the most expensive cities in the States, SF. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, like, like I just said, I just want, having come back to the United States, 
look, I, I, I needed a break. I came back. I wanted to spend time with some family. And I'm like, I, I just want to leave. And the only reason I want to leave, I'm like, dude, it, everything's so in like these, this past year that I was not here, mm-hmm. everything doubled almost. Like seriously, like Chipotle is like $2 more. Gas is obviously like, du- gas is literally doubled. Yeah. Um, everything. The dollar store is not even the dollar store anymore. It's the dollar 25 store. What, is, <laughs> what happened? What happened? Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. So I'm like, I need to get, I need to get out again, not because I'm trying to travel, because I'm trying to spend my dollars in, in a lower currency. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm definitely fun employed right now, and my pockets are hurting just coming back here. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how expensive San Francisco is. I mean, yeah, LA too. LA like uh, California, is like, California's. That's yeah. why you know. A lot of people think that you're, and especially having traveled through Africa, mm-hmm. people kind of fanboy you because you're from California, which is not a surprise. They're like, oh, California, Los Angeles, whatever. They think you have money. They think, oh, you people, and people used to say it's ripped to my face, you know, whether it was like a tourist guide or, or a guy trying to sell me a, a package to go or whatever. He's like, hey, you brother. I'm like, hey, brother. And I tell him straight up, like, I tried all the, every trick in the book to, to like, wave people off from trying to negotiate i'm like hey bro i don't have any money no bro i just spent last week no i blow english oh i'm just fun i tried everything <laughs> and they still negotiate with me and like i remember the like every time i said i don't have any money they're like brother you're traveling the world you have money i'm like you don't get it dude i'm still poor <laughs> like I still, have, I still i have a big desire to travel but I'm yeah. not rich by any means, dude. And California's expensive, <laughs> dude. Like, yeah, we make dollars, but we spend dollars. And I'm like, how much does your burger cost here? He's like, oh, I get it for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, burgers in America are $10, $12 for the patty. <laughs> like, oh, my God, mother. I'm like, yes, bro. That's why I'm traveling because I can't afford where I lived. Yeah. <laughs> so- that's the truth, though. That is the truth. Like, people think you have to be rich to travel. You have to have a lot of money. And, and people ask me all this all the time. Cause I've been full-time traveling for four years now, like nonstop, you know, and I haven't had my own apartment or anything, my own home for four years. I've just been living in Airbnbs or crashing at friend's house or something. Yeah. But I was just telling people like traveling is cheaper than living in New York or San Francisco, you know, like way cheaper. I actually save a lot more money being on the road, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's time. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, gas alone, you know, I mean. Another thing, like I don't get hassled when I travel. People leave me alone. Like you mentioned that you got hassled by like a lot of people in Africa, like trying to make money from you. But like that doesn't happen to me that much wonder why do you just ignore them because a lot of people are like dude just don't talk back i'm like dude i got raised but i can't ignore people i have to like say something in return i have to say something at least like i feeling ignored is one of the worst feelings in the world and i don't want to be i don't want to put myself in that guy's shoes like oh he's trying to like feed his family and this guy's just i'm like at least i will explain to him why i'm not going to get a service or whatever whatever he's trying to do no i think they just don't really approach me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you must have a really mean face when you go to these places where 
like, oh, we don't want to mess with her. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like when I went to Morocco, everyone was warning me, like, you're going to get hassled. It's so annoying. They're always in your face, especially if you're a woman traveler. Like they're really going to be in your face. <laughs> and then I just, had, I just had a really kind of racially profiling thought only based on another interview that I did where mm-hmm. people in North Africa, I think people from China or any Asian like uh, kind of complexion, they're there to take jobs. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe oh, really? that guy, yeah, I, she, she got <laughs> expelled from Tunisia because uh, she didn't need a visa. And like she like even showed them she gets to the airport and she gets expelled. She gets uh, deported. And, oh, and literally no. during the uh, verbal exchange, the guy says, you guys are here. You Chinese people are here to take our jobs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this dude blatantly said that. So that thought just came to mind. Like, how could a girl like you, you know, good looking girl, tra- looks like she's traveling. How could she not get harassed? My only thought is they must think you're there to work. <laughs> take <their jobs>. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. I was just like, in Morocco, I just had a different experience. Like, no one approached me. And I mean, the only time they approached me was like, oh, you want to buy some hash? I was like, no, I don't want to buy some hash from you. I don't know you. So they're like, the competition's here. Everyone, don't talk to her. I don't think I have a resting bitch face on, but like, I was shocked. I was like, everyone was warning me this shit and, and it didn't happen. I was like, they just left me alone. They didn't. I, I got straight up finessed uh, romantically. <laughs> no, I got finessed by a girl in oh. Morocco. We met, beautiful girl. Yeah. And she started talking to me. And honestly, I don't mind sharing this, uh, even if, even if I, if I share it, when I share it publicly, because it's, it's a true story. And, uh, so I get there and this girl, uh, right outside a restaurant, we start talking. She starts talking to me, a beautiful girl. Seemed supernatural, super innocent. Didn't seem like she was dressed in a way that I'd be like, ah, this seems kind of weird. Or she could be, maybe she's a sex worker. I don't know. You know, sometimes you can just kind of tell from a, from a, from a mile away. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know if Morocco had that, if it's loud, whatever. But she started talking to me like hey and it was like hey let's meet up tomorrow like where are you from i'm like all right sure like we'll meet up tomorrow we she calls me the next day her english was really good so like communicating with her was flawless Mm -hmm. um and then we go and and i when we go to a nice restaurant she recommends a restaurant we spent like two days together and then two days in she starts talking to me about like and i don't know is is the connection so good i heard some like some glitching or something um, and so about two days in, which, you know, by at this point, it, it, everything seems natural. Like, oh, this girl might actually like me. Like, this girl seems really nice. Yeah. And uh, about two days in, she's like, talk, starts talking to me about sex, like sexual experiences. Like, I want to do this with you and do this and that and that. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, this girl's are, like sounded like an absolute freak. And yeah. I was like, well, I'm a guy. Single <laughs> guy. Like, what am I supposed to think? Like, no, thanks. No, I'm like, well, this girl is like super. Into-. And then I kid you not, like, we hung out for another two days, and she kept telling me, "Oh, but I remember, I'm a very poor girl. You need to help me out with the taxi." And the taxi was like thirteen dollars each time, and I, oh. I just wasn't thinking. I just wasn't thinking. I was like, thirteen dollars. That seems like a lot, but it's not that much. Maybe it is thirteen dollars. 
Mm-hmm. And after like five days, I'd given her like $200 and I didn't even oh. realize that I had. And I'd also spent another probably $200 going to different places, buying little things. Yeah. And then, and then fourth day or so, she just makes a fucking scandal in public. I was like, hey, like, because I was me being me as a guy. I went, hey, so like I have a nice Airbnb. Like, are we, are you finally going to stay with me tonight? And she says, she literally starts screaming. She's like, how could you say that to me? And it's like, hold up, hold up. Like, it wasn't even me who initiated any of that sex talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she just makes a scene in public and then just storms off. And then like, I'm like, yo, I'm like calling. I'm like, yo, what happened? What happened? Like, I, I, what did I say that was so bad? She's like, yeah. And she just, it, I could tell right then, right then and there, she was making it all up. And that's when I kind of like finally the bubble popped in my head like my mental block i was like hold up i'm getting finessed as fuck this girl just planned her way to like 250 300 dollars yeah played it beautifully yeah she knew what to say when to Ah. say i am not a fool i promise you i'm not a fool when it comes to certain things of course i'm not the, the, the brightest in every aspect of life but no she played it beautifully and this whole taxi talk that oh my i live in this part and she showed me the map look i'm we're here and i live here so i'm coming all the way to see you i'm like oh my god you're so sweet <laughs> here's the money for the car <laughs> oh no. days later i could I remember like i could just picture myself from my a perspective outside of my body like her making that scene and me going like with my hands like what happened and whoa what happened sam was you just got finessed in Morocco for four <laughs> This girl, $200 or $300 in Morocco goes a long freaking way. Oh Her my taxi God. probably costs a dollar, most likely. Costs a dollar each way. Especially her being a local. I mean, they don't charge locals anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry. That's how bad I got finessed. It's a funny-ass story. I, honestly, I've, I've probably told it twice. Yeah, it yeah. It's so funny. It, 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 she, she's got away. She made a way. She made a way to make money. So. Wow. How, wait, have I gotten finessed by a guy? No, because guys, guys, I don't think guys can can play can wait four days. I don't think guys can. <laughs> uh, guys, yeah. uh, not not me, not me. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you nah, got played. By it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but what, so Brazil, let's keep talking about Brazil. So none, none of that happened. So, so the currency was, was good. The, the, the money, like obviously the staying in that neighborhood was a little bit more expensive, but uh, what about the rest of the stuff? It was pretty affordable. Uh, did you shop for your own food? Did you go out to eat every day? Yeah. Well, it was affordable for me, but you have to remember, like I work in tech. I'm coming from San Francisco and the prices here are ridiculous. So my standards are completely fucked. <laughs> When I travel, <laughs> saying like it might be yeah affordable for me, but like another traveler might be outrageous. So, but okay, so the prices for food and going out and all that stuff compared to everywhere I've been in the world is decent. Is not bad. It's decent. Okay, so- but but finding a place to live is hella expensive. <laughs> yeah and uh the people that you met there 
you were telling me before that there, there were people from a lot of parts of Brazil, not necessarily uh, people from from outside of uh, or just world travels. And do you think that uh, like you could tell differences between the people from from the different cities? Uh, and I know you you also visited different cities. So like, how would you describe Brazil? Was each city pretty pretty unique on its own? You can't, you can't tell. I feel like all of Brazil, like at least like in Sao Paulo, like everywhere you go, it's so diverse. Like I, people thought I was Brazilian. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's a huge, uh, there's a massive uh, Japanese population in Sao Paulo. I was going to, I was going to ask you about that. So is there really like, you can tell like a lot of people have like Asian descent there. Well, the biggest, like out, the biggest Japanese population outside of Japan is in Brazil. And that's in Sao Paulo. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. So I, I got I got so many questions like, "Are you Japanese?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm Vietnamese." Yeah, yeah. But in Rio, like, yeah, no, you don't really find any any Asians there. However, like, you could go to Brazil, and I would think you're Brazilian. You know, like, right? Really, can't tell who's from where. Like, anyone could be from Brazil, but. Yeah. yeah, I just I just know in Florinopolis there's more light skin like Brazilians like blonde blonde more European features in Florinopolis. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's really hard to tell. Everyone's so mixed and like they all, uh, everyone like yeah, there's racism like within the system. But when I was like in Sao Paulo and you go to like the skate park or you walk around, you see, you see different people like married, like different ethnicities married to each other, same nationality, just different backgrounds. Um, so it was pretty common to see a Japanese guy with a Brazilian wife um, and he's Brazilian too. And just like all kinds of people from different colors, like hanging out a lot, uh, which was, which was really nice to see. So what, what, what would you say you're the vibe the vibe was like every single day especially because i know you're there during uh, carnival season was it like wake up get, well, i don't know what your schedule is i don't know if it's just appointment based or you have like an actual schedule would you just wake up like go to the beach like what do, what do people tend to do i feel like when i think of rio I, I think of people hitting a soccer ball and going playing on the beach or volleyball and just spending the most of their days on the beach yeah so one thing <laughs> if you're a digital nomad like in rio it's going to be really hard to focus and be productive. I bet. I it's bet. so hard to get anything done over there. <laughs> like, I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't end up working. I was like, I I left my job. I just needed time off. But okay. I'm kind of glad that I didn't work while I was in Rio because that would have felt impossible. A lot of my friends complain about it. They're like, I can't get anything done. I keep wanting to go out. Like, it's it's really hard to balance. But day to day for me, at least, without working was um and by the way I was managing like a group of like 20 people uh on whatsapp and when I say manage I was coordinating a bunch of events for people daily all the time and these were all friends so I was doing that um so that kind of felt like a job but from well, like how did, you, how did you start doing that I feel like you're kind of kind of a I mean you definitely are but how did you get started on like event planning? And it wasn't a job, right? It was just like, it's kind of part of your nature, right? And it's just part of my nature. I just like to, wherever I go, I always want to create, like, um, have a friend family. I always want to hang out with the same people. Okay. And 
And like, I could meet them through couch surfing or through parties or through meetups. And I just like, if I like them, I invite them to this group and it just grows, grows. And then they invite their friends. And then like daily, I'm just like, Hey, there's like these three parties we could go to. Which one are you guys feeling? And then I'll make sure gather rally everyone. And we're all going to that or else like beach, beach outings and stuff. But to answer your question from, from, I, I never woke up before 12 p.m. <laughs> so then it was just, it's just hard. It's just hard. So nightlife like a like uh, a MFR, huh? Huh? I said nightlife like a MFR. Like oh a my god, the nightlife is insane. Um, but yeah, I would go to my dance class first. So I took samba. I dan- I've been dancing samba for three years now. Um, starting in oh. California. I wanted to really yeah I I love drumming and I love uh the samba dance because it it, I don't know it kind of it hits me like here pretty strongly um and I feel so alive when I do it so I I really spent a lot of time practicing uh samba with my dance teacher there in Rio so that was like every other day and then afterwards and we we all meet up at the beach just tan or hang out like every everyone is very physically active they're either playing foot volley which is like volleyball without using your hands <laughs> so oh that's super fun yeah hard you gotta be doing that every yeah. day to drill, drill it in but yeah yeah but everyone everyone does that on the beach like kids women men everyone so and they play with a, a volleyball net you know um so, so foot volley is the thing there I would play volleyball, so, and we played volleyball a lot. That was pretty much, like, every week, and then I would just go biking in the afternoon with a friend, because there's, like, a really long bike path around the uh, the coast, um, the beach, so you can take the bike everywhere. You can rent it and go. It's just another thing about Brazil is you need a social security number to do anything, a Brazilian really? social security yeah so what ends up happening is a lot of foreigners have to borrow someone else's social security number or they'll have to like use their friend's parents social security number or someone who died (laughs) like use their security number yeah it's i don't know why it's set up to be like like that but um Uh, you need to like shop for things or what in general like if you want a sim card you need a brazilian uh i think it's called CPF or renting a bike, just just things you wouldn't imagine you need a social security number for. You need it in Brazil almost all the time, even sometimes to even buy tickets to a party or a concert, um, which that was like a hassle about the system too. Uh, but yeah, like at night, like we would all go out to dinner for after the beach and then we would, you know, break for like, three hours and a meetup at a party around 11 p.m. And that was like daily. So 3 a.m. in Brazil is considered early for a party. <laughs> so if you, Yeah, it's considered early. And um, so it was like that almost every day. And if I went out, sometimes it's really easy to lose track of time. And then suddenly you see the sunrise and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm not gonna do anything tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's like every day there's something. 
it's like a backward cycle because that, that happened to me real fast. I was I wasn't really trying to, but I was going out and staying out till seven in the morning, and mm-hmm. I, I manage my my company at, at least in Europe time and in that time zone backwards because like eight a.m. In, in a few, I think instances, I, I think before the time changed. I think it's 5 p.m., 8 a.m. was 5 p.m. there. So all day I wasn't doing shit or I was sleeping. And then I managed my company while being out in Budapest. And and I'd, I'd, I'd have to stay up until 3 at least, even if I didn't go out. So I kind of combined both. If I had to take calls, I would oh. take calls. If I had to send an email, I'd do, I for a period of time, my phone... And I think you're the only person who agreed with me on this. A lot of times I was doing everything on my phone. I didn't even need my laptop. I was managing everything on my phone. And I was like, how is this happening? And I remember like see the sunrise and I'm like, I don't know if I feel irresponsible or I'm like winging it really well. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about myself, but Budapest gave me no option. I I was going out every day. So I was like, yeah, Budapest is, it's a lot cheaper than Rio, by the way. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Budapest I love to- that city. Yeah, that city was amazing. I went back after you went. You were there. I think you did, too. Huh? So I went yeah. back a few months later. I went back, too. Oh, like you, by the way, I caught COVID in Brazil, of course. <laughs> I caught COVID in Brazil. Well, I caught COVID in, uh, in Spain. Oh, I thought you caught it in, in Budapest. I must have been Budapest. Oh no, you're right. You I went to Spain to recover. There you go. I, well, I, I was flying from Spain to Peru, to then go to Colombia, and then, um, and then yeah, I, I, I caught COVID and, and I couldn't fly out of Spain, so I stayed in. Thankfully, I, I stayed in my cousin's place in the mountains of Catalonia, which wasn't even Barcelona. It was about two hours deep into the mountains. It was yeah. the best quarantine ever <laughs> wow it was good it was good yeah he literally lived in like he was a, his it's my cousin and his roommate and his roommate is a single er doctor mm-hmm. and so he's got a lot of money and he kind of runs the place it's a little town in catalonia so he's kind of like the er of the town the er doctor of the town and he was on vacation so it was just my cousin and i and then my cousin would leave, and it was just me there. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect isolation. Next to all the trees, next to all the mountains. Like, I had oh. a balcony, I had a pool. Yeah. Damn, that sounds amazing. I caught, well, <coughs> I caught COVID three days into Brazil. <laughs> with symptoms? Yeah, with symptoms. And then immediately, I booked a five-star hotel across the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I isolated myself for like 11 days pretty much you know what's um, funny there's something about me being frugal you know me being a cheap person that uh, traveling makes you you know count every penny yeah but then when I'm sick I'm like call the best fucking hotel <laughs> everywhere bring me the best food I don't give a shit about money anymore I'm trying to recover yeah <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That's exactly how I was thinking. I was like, I want a hot tub. I want a hot tub <laughs> with the jets in there. I want fucking room service so they could like give me my meals since I'm not leaving the room. Like, 
I want massive TV with massive speakers, and I want to see. I want to have a view of the fucking beach because I can't go to the beach. So, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I paid a fucking shit ton of money, but I was like, once I'm sick, I'm fucking splurging. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> the entire time. Nah, my, my, my quarantine was uh, well, self isolation was was legit. It was pretty pretty awesome, minus the symptoms. <laughs> yeah, part of the reason I came back also, and I was I was in Africa. Um, I caught malaria in Africa, and I was oh, uh, yeah, I was really trying that. to. You didn't take the pills. It doesn't matter if you take the pills are almost like a mental what how do you call it mental satisfaction or like mental responsibility that like oh I'm doing something to at least prevent but if they don't prevent it mosquito comes for your ass you're probably gonna get malaria yeah um, so yeah and the thing about Africa is, is very tropical very poor there's not a lot of paved roads so there's sand everywhere mm. there's lots of sand. And I got sick. And when I got sick, I was like, yep, Airbnb, best food, best restaurants. Uh, but there came a point where I was in Africa and even the best hotel and the best food didn't feel luxurious at all. So, yeah. like, I need, I, like, seriously miss luxury. Like, even though, like, being a frugal traveler, like, you're, like, okay with most places, okay with whatever comes your way. Mm-hmm. I literally, like, my Americanism kicked in. I was like, I just want to see tall skyscrapers with paved roads. <laughs> I want to go in a nice car. I want to eat really good food Chipotle and have like all these options. I just miss it so much. And I, that's when I pulled the trigger. I, mean, I was already sick. So I was like, ah, I got to go take a break. And yeah. Uh, I, yeah, the first few days in America, it was like driving my car, going nowhere, eating Chipotle, eating in and out. <laughs> I went straight when I got here. I went straight to go get pho <laughs> when oh. I landed. <laughs> I'm sure. After the availability of a foodie is ridiculous. You know what? I, I mean, <clears throat> I feel like we're very privileged to come from California because the fucking, the number of produce here, like the variety and like, it's so international. You have all kinds of cuisines here and it's just, oh, so good. We're spoiled we're definitely spoiled here for sure. Um, oh, I love this. I love this country. I love the state. I love California. Yeah, of course it's got issues. Of course it's very expensive, everything, but oh my God, like comparing lives, which I try not to, but you know, I, I feel like the, the, the surge of digital media has made it worse for the rest of the world than the world that doesn't have a lot because they can see what the outside world is now. I feel like before, you know, I had a great, let's say me, I, I could have had a great life in California and I could have, I could have had a great life in a whatever uh, rich country. And the African kid didn't know. Like he was living his own life, minding his own business. The kid in, uh, in South America, he didn't have a phone. He didn't have access to anything. All he did was, all he knew was his own life. But now kids go on social media and they can go see what's happening in California, what's happening in Dubai. And then you go and look at your life and you're like, what the crap? Like, these guys got way more than me. So not, now they can yeah. compare. So that, that, that like, uh, example that I used to kind of feel good about, like, hey, look at these African kids. You, like, give them a ball and they're happy. Well, I don't think that's the case anymore because now they actually can, can compare. 
lives, which mm-hmm. I feel like before, if I don't know if I'm ignorant to the rest of the world, yeah, myself think I have a good life. But when you can actually have a phone, and it doesn't matter where you are, everybody has a phone now. You can be in the poorest neighborhood in anywhere. You have a phone with some sort of access to social media. Now you can compare. So a lot of the people I stayed with in Africa, they're like, yeah, bro, they were literally like not even trying to go to work. First of all, the pay is horrible, like like peanuts. Like, yeah. oh, it's so bad. I, I felt bad. It, it like gave me an empty feeling when I heard how much they worked and how much they worked for. Mm. And and then they'd be like, yeah, bro, I just want my dream is to go to California. Like, and like they truly, and now they know what it looks like and, and they can compare. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could just bring everybody to that this sort of opportunity. I'm not just yeah. life. Just that everybody have equal opportunity. It's so sad. You know what, though? Like, when I travel quite a bit, and also, like, my family, a part of my family lives in the countryside, kind of, like, slummy, yeah, slummy of Vietnam on this tiny island. And not just that, but I also lived in pretty rough areas while volunteering in the world. Um. But, you know, there's comparing it like, yeah, in, in the States and California, there's shit tons of money here. There's, you know, there's, there's so much money. We have everything that we need and more. Um, but also when, when coming back here, you see a lot of people in bad shape. I'm talking about very bad mental state compared to like any other places that I've been in the world. You know, and I think that there's definitely a lack of of support in the system. Um, Whereas, like, when I did live in these smaller villages, and yeah, they didn't have money. If they're sick, they're pretty much fucked because the healthcare there is, is, it doesn't even exist. However, they seem more at peace, and there was more of a community within their family, and, like, everyone lived close to each other. Um, And they seem just more joyful, like, deep inside even though they didn't have much and there is social media but it's just like it's different like the yeah the people that I've met living uh in poverty they weren't necessarily unhappy I think if anything they're struggling yeah they're struggling to make ends meet however like I think the lifestyle still with being close to family and also friends um they just seem more, more at peace and a little bit more joyful than the people here who are making a shit ton of money, um, or even not like kind of in rough shape here. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think that, um, and I, and I noticed in another country's life is a bit more simple. Like it's just, you don't have a lot of options to like search for a new thrill and like people like us, like I'm always looking for my next thrill. But to, mm-hmm. to experience that next thrill, I need opportunity. I need money. I need desire. So it is an addicting game. And if there's days where I'm like, oh, man, I want to do this and I don't do it, I'm, I'm a good good with my mental health. I would say, you know, there's days where, like anybody, it's, I don't feel the best, but I always consider them, well, it's normal. Like people are going to go, you know, these sort of things fluctuate. But for people who may be, do stay in like a, a lower mental state, it is probably by like the same uh, thing that I'm talking about, which is we just have really high standards here. We have great lives and we 
we can do so much, so many things, and mm-hmm. we have the opportunity to, to to do so many things. And I feel like people feel like social pressure, and it's kind of a rat rat's race to do certain things. But it's not necessarily that you have to do any of them, but because you don't do any of them, or you don't do what most societies do, like staying in shape or making money as somebody told you to make or uh, getting a, a nicer or whatever or not having kids there's all these different judgments because there's so much opportunity there's still a pattern of what success looks like here and people don't live up to that they're going to feel so crappy because they know they can change but they're not doing it and it ultimately falls on them while in other countries there really is no opportunity you just have to live a simple life yeah. and it's it's not like hey uh, if somebody does have a better way of success everybody's like great like we figured a way out of this kind of mess i guess uh, but for the most part uh the, the other people don't have that pattern of criticism because mm-hmm. there's really no way out of there or there's just very limited options yeah yeah i hear you i think um i agree with you teach their own right have different experiences but yeah, yeah it's just like you know, right now, especially during the pandemic, like coming back to California, you do see a lot of homelessness and a lot of them are, are sick, you know, like need mental, like there, there's something going on. Like they have some kind of mental disorder that needs to get treated or something like that. And also drugs. Um, but compared to anywhere else, I've seen it definitely more here where the homeless people are are really in bad shape like terrible shape um and the next next place would be the philippines and and sao paulo actually in in brazil is really not good well in terms of what homelessness or or just poverty or what homelessness really sao paulo is bad yeah sao paulo is bad wow i so where are they? Are they? Is it kind of like California? They're just tents and random places uh, around the city or on the beach? Or? No, it's just like all over the city pretty much. And, and a lot of locals said it's like since the pandemic, it's just been like getting worse. It's not getting better. It's, it's crazy how these societies get suppressed to the point where they're, like, they really end up on the street just without begging. Like, it's, a, it's a harsh reality that we're so lucky not to be in. It's it's bad to hear. So I, I guess you really did see a lot of poverty in Brazil. Like you really felt it. Oh yeah. You see it everywhere. You definitely see it everywhere. Um, and another thing is I, I felt like, like here in San Francisco, a lot of people complain about homelessness cause it's everywhere. And it's like, there's like a lack of empathy towards the homeless. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's probably because they're scared of, of the homeless people because a lot of them are in bad mental state. Um, yeah. So you could catch them like maybe it's, it's not uncommon to hear that they may attack you or they may they're screaming at their hallucination or, yeah. you know, um, so people here are scared maybe because of that. They don't show any empathy towards the homeless here. Well, there is, but like, not really when I, when I talk to people about it, they're just like, ah, oh, I wish like where, where are tax dollars going? Like, it's not solving the problem. Like I want to get out of here kind of stuff. But in, when I was in Rio, like you see homeless people and sometimes like they, 
you're eating outside eating dinner and, and sometimes like and they're really young you know they look like they're in high school but in bad shape too they'll just want to take food off of your plate and if you stop them they like get really angry at you and you could tell they're they're just like so hungry and the way I observed it like the locals is like the locals my friends always gently talk to them and actually have a conversation with them and then give them food and then they don't talk about it afterwards but it's always like with some kind of like very gentle soft conversation with the homeless person um and it's just like it's different the way locals there deal with people you know where compared to here for some apparent reason I can't like really pinpoint why but I'm just only guessing well very interesting um and Diana just just to finish up um, I'm running out of time here so what, what would you say I guess uh, two questions the first thing what was the thing that most surprised you about Brazil um I guess from a perception from before going there and then actually being there well what do you think was was your most surprising thing uh, I mean, there, there was a few things. Um, <laughs> one is the, how open they are, like very open, uh, sexually. <laughs> that is something that I did not get used to. Um, and the second thing was another thing that really surprised me was like, this is kind of sad to even talk about. Um, but when you see like people get robbed on the beach all the time. And a lot of times they get beat up in front of all the beachgoers by these kids who are robbing them, like jumped. But the locals don't do anything. They just watch, you know, and, and everyone just pretty much ignores and ex- like they they already accept that reality is like this. So that's the sad thing about it that I've like realized. And, and my friends, like travelers were shocked. Were like, yeah, I got my backpack got ripped off of my back, like on the beach, a bunch of high school looking kids were like punching me, but no one did shit. Like no one. And it so, was like daylight. So, so you, you really don't want to go to the beach with any belongings. Like you just have to leave everything behind. I feel much safer from the, from the sound of it to just go to the beach and bring food and leave everything behind like i wouldn't bring my iphone <laughs> oh no yeah i don't i don't bring anything i mean i bring my phone because i need to get around and communicate with people but i hide it i always try my best to hide it i don't really take it out at the beach either i don't even bring a towel to the beach <laughs> like yeah i just like go with what i'm wearing and then air drive by like um <laughs> back especially a backpack like i wouldn't bring a backpack a lot of people do you're just kind of at higher risk if you do but yeah that's the one thing that really uh stood out about brazil and the third thing the last thing is that um the biggest lesson there was i kept hearing locals tell me like because i i'm a dancer i i dance and i i do it every day i've done it since i was little so that's where I feel most myself is when I'm dancing and, and Samba is one of those types of dances where I feel very much at home doing it. Um, 
but at parties or at dancing events or whatsoever, the locals constantly, they keep telling me like, you got to feel it. You got to feel it in your heart. Don't think about it. Your body has to feel it, you know? And, and I kind of took that as a metaphor, like, um, just for life and where I'm at in my path to like, you know, you have to be in tune with your body and like your gut and whatever decision you're going to make, you know? So that was what I kept hearing from locals all the time. Like, and it, it kind of, kind of set the path for me afterwards for this year, I think. Um, so yeah, those are the three things that really stood out for me. Three have more. And uh, just to finish up then, what, why do you think um, people should visit Brazil? I guess. Wait, ask that again. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. My, one of my AirPods just died. So hopefully you can hear me now. Yeah. I said, what is the, what, what, why do you think people should uh, visit Brazil? Like, let's say, like me, when I used to be able to, um, thankfully, uh, you could convince me as well, I guess. So you could use me as an example. Like, I could go anywhere right now and I'm planning my next vacation. Sell me Brazil. I highly recommend Brazil. I, I was only supposed to be there for a week. It ended up being two months. <laughs> I kept extending, extending. Um, it's just so easy to meet friends and locals are so friendly and people are down to do anything. They're very spontaneous people. So they're more in the moment. Like you can't really plan in advance with Brazilians. It just has to happen on the spot. And that's what makes it so much fun. because you never know how the day is going to go. You know, one day you're like, okay, let's go to the beach. And then somehow you end up at some Brazilian funk party. And the best thing is that we, I'm a dancer, so I, I love dancing. And everyone twerks. No, <laughs> guys and girls. What? Even straight guys? Oh, yeah. All the guys know how to twerk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just That's like, great. I feel like it's part of the culture there. Yeah, it's just like everyone gets down so hard. Um, and the weather was great. Like going to the beach every day was super fun. Because I was constantly moving my body, and I felt like Brazilians in general are very physically active. You weren't planning to get in shape; it just ends up happening anyway. But yeah, thing for Rio is that it's just one of the most fun places I've ever been in my life. Entering me. <laughs> definitely top of the charts yeah it definitely sounds like uh what i take away from from what you said is it's hard to focus and it's fun so it's and, and, and it's spontaneous so it sounds like a place that we're just just let go and and just have fun yeah i i you should go next year in january february please i think it's gonna be like a <laughs> yearly thing for me oh perfect <laughs> thank yeah. me later yeah, I, will. I, sure, I sure will uh well it was it was so nice to hear um that you had a good time and and i, I know we can talk for hours and uh we should we will definitely have a uh, conversations off the record and uh i just wanted to thank you for uh, giving me the time to listen i love uh, doing this podcast because 
I'm so interested in hearing people's stories when they travel, how they travel. Everybody's got such a unique way to travel. It's crazy. And you never hear the same story. Um, yeah. And, it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah. So I just wanted to say thanks for, um, for giving me the time and, and I will uh, speak to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Okay.